This is the Marsh and Matt Show with Marshall Kellner and Matt Gallivan. Welcome to another edition of the Marsh and Matt Show. Marshall Kellner, Matt Gallivan here with you in, uh, I believe, Matt, this is going to be one of the more joy-filled episodes in the history of the Marsh and Matt Show. We have, we're recording this on a Wednesday. Hours ago, Carlos Correa at a press conference, so it's still hard to believe, at a press conference announcing he's going to be in Minnesota at least for six years and could be much longer. We'll get to that later in the show. And it's also week one of the NFL postseason, uh, I, which I feel like has just been, we've been waiting for this for quite some time because we knew the Vikings were going to win the North realistically for about the last two months. So so, you know, it's been kind of building in the background, not knowing, you know, obviously what the seed would be. And uh, at, at, for a time, looked like the one seed might be available, then the two seed. And we lost that with the, the loss to Green Bay. But we'll talk about all of that. First of all, uh, how are you doing? You're uh, you are in Arizona, which hopefully is some foreshadowing, because in a few weeks you could be welcoming the Minnesota Vikings there. Let's hope you will be. But uh, how's it going uh, down there in the sun? I am scoping out uh, the stadium in in preparation for the Super Bowl run. Uh, it could not be better to be away from the Minnesota winter right now, and it could not be better to be basking in the Korea news and, you know, hope springs eternal with the Vikings in the playoffs. They haven't broken our heart yet. And just as important, the Packers <laughs> had the chance after beating yes. us to get in and lost to the historically pitiful lions it does not get better than that yeah uh, how did Rogers i miss might be on thank you out uh, yeah thank you thank you for adding that in because i mean how often i don't know if this has ever happened how often on the final sunday of the nfl season when your team's been safely in the playoffs for a couple months not not clinching but everyone knew it was inevitable the vikings jumped out to a huge lead in the division it was a foregone conclusion for a couple months. They were winning it. How often do Vikings fans get to kick up with their feet up on the couch, a beverage of choice in hand? Final Sunday of the NFL season, Vike, or, uh, Packers Lions in primetime. That might be the most rare thing about the whole, the whole thing, Lions in primetime. And they then Lions eliminated by the Seattle victory earlier in the day. Pete Carroll and the Seahawks thinking, eh, we don't have much of a shot. You know, we're counting on the Lions beating the Packers in Lambeau in early January with a playoff spot on the line. And it happens. Uh, and it was a great game to watch, actually. A great game. Rodgers looked putrid. Rodgers looked after the game like he was going to retire, walking out with Randall Cobb. Um, they could hang those pictures on their walls forever as uh, hopefully they go into an era with horrendous quarterback play for the next 40 years, because that's what they deserve after being gifted Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers back to back. That's all. I don't, I don't see it happening, but we can, we can hope that that happens, but it's um, a pretty well run organization. I think they'll probably figure, figure something out, but uh, a lot of questions for them, at least the next few years. I'll just say kudos to Dan Campbell. Uh, we've talked a yeah. lot on this show, and there's been a lot of talk nationally about how Kevin O'Connell came in, changed the culture of the Vikings organization for the better. The Vikings at least had a 
history of, you know, some success. I think we're now up to the third most, you know, wins maybe in, you know, the regular season of the NFL. I think I saw something like that. Uh, don't talk about the postseason. But you don't have much of a history with the Lions. And historically, it's a terribly run franchise. But he has come in and changed the attitude of that organization. And there's no better evidence of that to be have the gut punch of being eliminated earlier in the day and still coming out against the best team historically in your division with a the reigning NFL MVP and, you know, Super Bowl winner and all of this on the line. Everyone thought they were going to lose that game and probably not be close. And to have your team motivated to go and do it was just chef's I did hear some great takes on my favorite radio station, KFAN, which is, one of the most popular sports radio stations in the country, by the way, that that'd be fun actually sometime to have on like, uh, like obviously Paul Allen or somebody like that, but even somebody who's worked at KFAN even longer, like since the beginning and, and because it's such a unique business model, really how they run that radio station. So cool. Um, there was an article in city pages about it. I think a couple of years ago, that was, um, that was really shed some light on it. But anyway, um, you can go on tangents all day, but anyway, you know, I have to give credit because Dave Sinekin, speaking of something unique, our rival has a radio show in Minnesota. <laughs> Dave Sinekin, the head cheese, as he's known, has a very early morning Sunday Packers show because of all the Packer fans in Minnesota. And we're so nice, we grant him the time. And he actually, and Paul Allen both said this during the week, last week that the lions might be more dangerous if they had been eliminated because how often, and it's kind of, kind of counterintuitive to think about, but how often does Detroit face pressure late in the season, having to get into the playoffs? How often has anyone on that team? Yeah. Goff has been to a super bowl, but most of the others haven't tasted the playoffs on that team. They haven't played under pressure. So it, it, and you could see they still hated Rogers. They said some stuff about it during the week. Dan Campbell, like you said, got to give him credit as well, keeping that team up. But, you know, I had this sneaky feeling like they were going to to battle no matter what. And then really the pressure was off. And it was like, you know what? This is our Super Bowl, at least for this year. We, we have a lot of positive things to look forward to in the years to come. But right now, this is our effing Super Bowl. We are We are going to knock these guys out. And I saw an interview with Campbell early in the game where he looked very angry, like, like he was like, you know what? We're gonna we're we're just gonna our motivation is to not let them go. And I was like, okay, you know, at least he's motivated. Hopefully his players are, and they certainly were. Great job it, by Goff as well, who had a horrible record in the cold in his career. He delivered. And uh that fourth down sealed it late. Uh it, it was a pretty sweet end to what's been a beautiful season for the for the Vikings. But let's get in let let's get in quickly because I know we're crunched for time today and we want to for a rare time, actually be uh, be very disciplined in our in our conversation today when it comes to time constraints. Let's get into how you see, though, how the path lays out for the Vikings. Uh, because it looked for a while like they were going to have to win out to get the two seed. And in fact, that's what happened. San Francisco, I think, ended on a 10-game winning streak. They did not. They almost lost to Vegas. Did not. They were close early with Arizona and then pulled away and dominated them in J.J. Watt's final game, which was a 99% chance to happen. But now the Vikings are the three. 
San Francisco hosts Seattle in a very interesting game that will open the NFL postseason this Saturday. That'll be the first game. So the Vikings will know heading into Sunday afternoon against the Giants, either with a win they'll go to San Francisco or they will host the winner of Dallas-Tampa. So they're going to know that going into the game. I don't think that'll play a huge factor, but it'll be nice as fans to know what's on the line. And, and I think that that's a massive difference when you think about going to San Francisco versus hosting an eight and nine Tampa team. Yes. With Tom Brady, but an eight and nine Tampa team or a Dallas team that yeah, beat you 40 to three, but it's a home playoff game. So I think there's a massive difference between those things. I know you thought very highly of San Francisco last time we spoke on this show that they're, they were the most complete team, maybe in the NFL. So I would imagine you, you agree with me there, but how, how do you see it all playing out? You know, obviously Philly, uh, getting the buy as well. You know what? I think that this is, you know, the Vikings can't obviously get caught looking ahead. You've got a team in the Giants who you barely beat, you know, in, in your regular season matchup. Uh, Dan Jones, of all people, uh, kind of torched you. And they they've got you know i know they're at home and it's the first playoff game you know uh here at home in a while and you know the, the fans are going to be you know really motivated and loud at us bank stadium uh kirk's got you know has stuff he wants to prove this team wants to prove that all the discussion of them as being a fraud you know is uh you know is just total bs you know but I, so i'm hoping that they can come out and they can stick it to the giants show that offensive efficiency of putting together a complete game that we've all been waiting for. Um, you know, and if they can do that, I think that that would really give them confidence going into the next game. Look, I mean, I, I still maintain that San Francisco is the most complete team in the NFC going to San Francisco. Uh, we've seen that happen before in the playoffs and they just, they're a bad matchup for the Vikings. They, they, um, you know, are good in the trenches we're a little bit banged up in the trenches right now. Hopefully Zadarius is, you know, he says he's healthy again and that that helps. Um, but you know what? The key, frankly, against San Francisco is our offense uh, feeling like that they're, you know, confident in cooking after a playoff win, uh, hopefully convincingly, and that you're not afraid to go on the road and, and have a chip on your shoulder as the underdogs and, and go out and prove it. And then, you know, one of these days, Brock Purdy, despite all the talents around him, is going to have a bad game. So, and I, I, I don't think that they should take Seattle for granted because it's always harder when you've already played a team three, you know, two times. Uh, you just know each other's tendencies more. You've seen a lot. And so anything could happen in that game. But would you, would you, would I rather play the winner of Tampa uh, and Dallas? Absolutely. Um, at I, home. <laughs> at home. At, at Most home important. Improvement. Yeah. At yeah. home is an improvement, and uh, I don't believe Dallas can win a playoff game until they show that they can win a playoff game. I, I, I think that there still are a lot of issues with that team, uh, a lot more – a lot, maybe more pressure on that team than any in the playoffs to deliver with the exception of maybe the Bills. Um, you know, and you've got a veteran, yeah, best quarterback of all time in Tom Brady. So, I, I, you know, anything could happen there, but I would rather have them versus San Francisco – and you know what, playing, if you ultimately have to play Philly in the path, you know, you have to play at Philly in the path. And we've seen that playbook, you know, before, but um, I'm less intimidated by them than I am San Francisco. So if we can get through San Francisco, I feel confident about our chances 
uh, to to beat anyone else. Yeah, I, we 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 covered this a few weeks ago, but I we disagree about Dallas's um, abilities. I, I agree they have to prove they can win a playoff game. Certainly, one on the road. They have not won a road playoff game since the early '90s. But I'm not going to blame Dak Prescott for the '90s Cowboys failures after they won their Super Bowls. Um, I will blame him for some some failures in the recent playoff past, but I think the Cowboys are well positioned. If you could ask for any road playoff game, the only bad thing is they have to play Brady, but the rest of that Bucks team has been pitiful for most of the season. I mean, eight and nine, they barely beat Sam Darnold to get into the playoffs in Tampa, in Tampa. So that Carolina team was on its heels all year, like on Tampa's heels all year. They couldn't put him away until you know, the second to last week of the season, um, Brady could look amazing, but if he's not protected, we know his mobility is certainly not his forte, especially at this time of his career. So I think, uh, I think Dallas goes in there and handles them on Monday night. And I think it'll be about half Cowboys fans in Tampa. We know how they travel or live in the same city and just buy a Cowboys Jersey that week probably have never been to Dallas. So there's a combination, some travel, I'm not going to discount all of them, but uh, boy, some of them were annoying in that 40 to three loss that I was at at us bank stadium. So personally, I would prefer to play Tampa because I think Tampa is not as good a and B I think we'll have a better home field advantage against Tampa, much better home field advantage. There's just not as many bucks fans, even though there's a lot of Brady fans, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that later. I, I, I agree San Francisco would be mighty tough. And you know what even worries me more? Brock Purdy, I think, will be most vulnerable this week. I think first playoff game, going up against Pete Carroll, who you know will have a great plan. And Pete Carroll should be in consideration for coach of the year, by the way, with what are, – are you kidding? Like what Seattle was thought to be before the season? They they traded Russell Wilson. They got Denver's pick, by the way. So they have two first-round picks. They have Denver's pick and their own pick. Who coming into the season thought Denver's pick would be better than Seattle's pick? You can count them on one hand. Nobody thought that. People were all up on Denver, thought Russell Wilson was the missing piece for them, and, and a lot of people were picking them to make the playoffs, when winning double-digit games. That was a train wreck for many reasons. Their coach didn't make it through the season. But Pete Carroll, yes, lost to San Francisco twice, but has only seen Purdy once, and it was on a Thursday night in Seattle. That game was fairly close for most of that game. And, and Seattle has nothing to lose. Nothing. Geno Smith's first playoff game, great story. And you know what? You know how you can beat San Francisco? With elite wide receivers. The one weakness in that defense is its secondary which we will talk more about if the Vikings do match up against San Francisco next week. But they got two really good wide receivers. They got a good young rookie running back. So we'll see. I, I think I think that game will be closer than the line. I think Seattle will at the very least cover. I think San Francisco's like double-digit favorites. Uh, and if Brock Purdy, back to my original point, if Brock Purdy is going to have an off game, I think it's in this game. Because if he wins, he's guaranteed to be at home the next week. And I think that gives him all the confidence he needs. Now, I think the Vikings are way better than Seattle. But I think Purdy himself would go into that Vikings game with a little more confidence and swagger 
than he will necessarily coming into this game where I wouldn't be surprised to see some jitters early in the game. And hopefully, hopefully, we're pulling for you, Pete Carroll. My boy, who was obviously the coach at USC when, it, when I attended for the first three years, and uh, Big Balls Pete, as we called him, we, he might need some of that uh, some of that moxie going for it on fourth down in some big spots as he was known to do a lot uh, when he was coach of the USC Trojans. So, uh, you know, the guy knows how to win in the postseason, so we'll see about that game. But I think Purdy could be even more dangerous week two of the playoffs if he survives week one. That worries me. That worries me. But we can we can discuss that next week. Do you want to get into the Giants game? Yeah, I mean, both with the Giants and throughout the playoffs, let's be honest, the the biggest concern for this team is the health of the offensive line. Yes, the defense continues to be an issue. It continues to be a little bit of a opportunistic leaky sieve, giving up a lot, but finding a way to get turnovers when it needs to. Um, but the offensive line is really banged up. Uh, we don't have the A team in there. Uh, Delvin has been MIA uh, in many aspects. Some of that could be on him, uh, but a lot of it I'm sure is on the line. And if that makes you really one dimensional and people are bringing pressure and hitting Kirk, I mean, it's, it really puts a lot of pressure on Kirk to make just a ton of plays and he's capable of doing that but your margin for error just um, drops significantly and it increases the chances of, of, you know, turnovers, which, and getting in a hole, which we certainly don't want um, to give the giants or any team to play, you know, confidence. Uh, We've seen that play out, um, you know, before. And while this team is capable of coming back against anyone, you know, it makes it a lot harder when you don't have the A team on the offensive line. So I, 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 I'm hopeful that the Vikings can come out with their scripted plays in the, you know, on the first drive uh, where they've had so much success this year and get a touchdown. I, I'm hopeful that they can establish the run, even though I'm not very confident about it. But I mean, I got to be honest, Delvin, Delvin is playing for a future on this team, right? In the playoffs right now, if Delvin does not deliver in the playoffs, there is zero chance he will be on the Vikings in the future. Well, we, we, cap hits. We've got to let him, we've got to let him deliver. That's my bait. Like you, you look at that first Giants game. He had forty plus yards in the first quarter, and had like twenty the rest of the game. So if you and I, and I'll pull it up right now, but you, you certainly I I agree with you that Dalvin's status next year is is up in the air. Uh, but if you look at Dalvin in that game, fourteen carries, sixty four yards, for an average of four point six per carry. 14 carries. I understand if O'Connell was trying to take some reps off him in the regular season, but now we're going to really see how he plans to utilize this run game. This run game has been bad for a lot of the season. Now, Dalvin is sixth in the league in rushing yards. So, and I don't think it's Dalvin that's been bad. I think there haven't been holes consistently. I think running out of the shotgun has been an adjustment. I think lessening cj ham's usage has hurt dalvin's production and i think a refusal to stick with the run at times has also done that um dalvin's not as much like alexander madison who you kind of if he remember when he would start games when dalvin was hurt he would kind of build up as the he he needed carries to kind of get him going dalvin doesn't need that as much like like adrian peterson did for example but if 
if they don't stick with it, they will lose. And, 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 and I will bring up another stat shortly, but let me just cite you to this. A tweet by former Kirk Cousins teammate, Robert Griffin III, <laughs> um, who was drafted. Who hates team. Kirk, by the way. He does, he does, but th- but then occasionally he'll tweet something complimentary. So it's, it's kind of weird. Um, but he did, and he has given the Vikings props at times this year. Um, yes. Um, and it, yeah, very active, uh, pretty good analyst, I think, on TV. He, he he does a lot of college work and some NFL. But anyway, here's the point, and he's spot on about this. The tweet: the key to winning in the playoffs is running the ball and stopping the run. Historically, Mike Zimmer loves this. Historically, teams have a 75% chance of winning in the playoffs when they outrush their opponent. In last year's wildcard round, five of the six winners outrushed their opponent. Five of the six. So I understand, I understand that the Minnesota Vikings' strength is their passing game. That is their identity. We have the best wide receiver in the National Football League. We have a dynamite quarterback, haters be damned, who has had his best season of his career. I don't care what the stats say. He has had the best season of his career and certainly made the most clutch plays of his career in the fourth quarter. Okay. But Dalvin Cook is the key to a lengthy playoff run. He is. Dalvin Cook. I don't disagree. And they've not to utilize him. And, and let me just tell you one other, I'm going to, uh, to bring up one other stat for a second here, because I did some research and, uh, this has been bugging me all year. So this does not include the bears game. Okay. But I tracked every third and short play for the offense through the first 16 games. Third and short, meaning third and three or shorter. The Vikings on third and three or shorter pass 75.8% of the time. That Those passes are successful 48% of the time. They run 56. Um, excuse me. Yeah, they run, they run, you know, about 25% of the time. The runs are 81.3% successful. So, I mean, I, I, I get, and, and look, third and one, third and two, they're not looking for a deep pass. So I get O'Connell's temptation to go deep. And I'm not saying never do, but in the playoffs, I want mostly KOC with a sprinkle of Zimmer. And what do I mean by that? I want him to recognize that sometimes just moving the chains, taking more time off the clock, and sometimes even flipping the field and not even scoring on the drive, but the value of keeping a drive going. So key in the postseason, they need to be better in those situations. Whether they decide to pass or run, they need to convert more of those, and I think more of them need to be runs with Dalvin Cook. I totally agree with you. I think in particular, when KOC knows he's going to go for it on fourth down. Yeah. You, 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 then on the third and three, it should be some kind of run. 
because, you know, your chances of success in the playbook opening up, if it ends up being fourth and one, are going to should in theory be a lot more successful than running a pass on third and three and then going for it on fourth and three. So I agree with you. The run game has been underutilized in those short yardage situations. Delvin is a key to the success of this team, controlling the clock, controlling the game, opening up the passing options. Yep. I'd say the other and if thing. Dalvin, is, but, well, quickly, if, if people thought Dalvin lost a step this year, um, did please rewatch the screenplay against Indianapolis. Please rewatch the run against Miami. I mean, Dalvin's fine. In fact, Paul Allen said on his show earlier this week, he is the freshest and happiest he's been in his Vikings career. So he's fine. I don't know why this you've got to create the holes game, and you've got to commit to him. And I don't know why the screen game has been so poor this year because I oh, do it's think been that better he should the past, be. The, it's been really good it has, the past the, month, the, though. The past month. I agree. It's gotten better, but I yeah. don't know why it took so long to get there because that's an underutilized part. I'd say the other key for me real quickly offensively is someone's got to step up as the number two threat, you know, on this offense. We've seen flashes of Osborne doing it, but he's generally done it against poor competition. We love Adam Thielen. He's clearly the, as the season's worn on, lost a little bit Hawkinson has filled that role but he's he and he's has potential but he's he has you know had a number of key drops Irv Smith was supposed to be you know a big factor early in the season he's back healthy now but he's had key drops I liked what they did with CJ Ham last week maybe in kind of a Kyle Juice uh Juszczyk role but they've got so many weapons but they've got to make sure that people those other weapons collectively are stepping up to be strong number two number three options um, otherwise it's going to be so JJ or bust. Um, and if, especially if they can't get Dalvin going, that that's a recipe for this team, you know, not succeeding. And let's be honest, I, I don't need to really say anything about the defense our, our, other than our defensive leaders need to carry us and keep making big plays in, in big situations and not give it up at the end of the game. But the defense is going to give up yards. They just don't have a depth in the, and enough uh, playmakers to to they really dominate or they control the game they need pressure they need yep. to create turnovers but our offense is going to have to carry us with the defensive leaders just making those pressure you know turnover plays at key opportune moments no question about it Zadarius Smith you mentioned him earlier might be the key Daniil has really heated up the last month he's been really good Zadarius finally got a week off he had been limping on occasion since the buffalo game that week off let's hope it's massive because if he's back to a fraction of the player he was the first half of the season look out whoever we play because he's going to cause complete havoc in the backfield last point um and then we will do a little quick twins um saquon barkley i mentioned dalvin cook only had 14 carries so did saquon barkley and being at that game now, he did have eight catches on 10 targets, so it was very effective, and he had the big fourth-down touchdown run, uh, and then they got the two to tie the game. So so he was – he made some impact plays, but for the most part, they held him in check um, aside from the long fourth-down touchdown run. But I think we're going to see a lot more Saquon. I do not think in Daniel Jones' first playoff game they are going to have him try to win the game with the wor one of the worst wide receiving cores in the league, a shaky offensive line. That's asking for trouble. If you remember U.S. Bank Stadium in the one other playoff game we had there, granted, we had the best defense in football in 2017, but Drew Brees was helpless in the first half. 
in large part because it was just so freaking crazy in there, which it's going to be again. And you put Daniel Jones in his first playoff game and you try to make him drop back a bunch of times to win it. He's very accurate in the middle of the field, kind of like Jimmy Garoppolo, not very accurate outside the numbers. And early in that game, that first meeting, for some reason, they were going play action, which that wasn't surprising because obviously we're focused on Saquon, but play action deep shots. And he was very inaccurate. When they started going over the middle, he started slinging it in there a little bit and getting rid of it. But you got to watch Daniel Jones on the ground. That's where he can he can hurt you. And we didn't see very many designed runs in that first game. So I think the Vikings, more Dalvin Cook in the game, more quick passing because of the offensive line injuries that you said. Uh, certainly the, the screen to Justin Jefferson that set up Joseph's 61-yard walk-off in that game was massive, massive. One of the Kevin O'Connell's best play calls of the year. Um, so, you know, JJ had a great game. TJ Hawkinson had 13 catches for two touchdowns and over 100 yards and looked like Rob Gronkowski in that game. So they're going to be keyed in on JJ and, and TJ. Uh, I, I think Dalvin has to have a huge game, KJ maybe as well. But I think for the Vikings, more Dalvin. And I think for the Giants, they didn't blitz much, but Wink Martindale likes to blitz. Will they think they can get pressure with four again? Because they thought so in the first game. They got some pressure, but not enough. And they were worried if they blitz, JJ will kill them. Now, will they blitz more and hope they can create a couple big plays and maybe some turnovers? That'll be something to watch how much they blitz. Because early in that game when Dalvin was killing them, then they made an adjustment, brought a safety down into the box. And then we gouged them with JJ and, and TJ. So pick your poison if you're the giants, but I think we may see some more blitzing them go back to kind of their MO defensively. Final thoughts on Vikings giants and then twins. Uh, I think it's kind of a first to 21 type of game. Uh, and while we get burned by the Vikings um, all the time, I do think that they're the better team so I'm looking for a, a 28-17 victory. I'm around the same, too. I think it's a little more comfortable than most of the Vikings wins. I think it's close at halftime, but I do think the Vikings, the, the cream rises to the top mm. in this game. And I think we see we see the best version of this offense. Now, it all could. Dexter, the one thing that worries me is Dexter Lawrence and, and Leonard Williams and Kayvon Thibodeau who Brian O'Neill shut down in the first game, they could wreck the game. So you got to make sure that doesn't happen. As long as it doesn't, Vikings win. All right, we'll be back to talk some twins. All right, we're back with some Minnesota twins talk. We promised this in, you know, it's funny. We promised this, and uh, when we promised it in our last episode a couple weeks ago, um, it had just been announced that Carlos Correa had agreed to a 13-year, $350 million deal with the Giants. And we come here two weeks later, not only is he not going to the Giants, he then had a deal that looked like it was solidified with the Mets because the Giants deal fell apart because of a, a, a physical or doctors didn't agree on, on the long-term health of his ankle. The Mets signed him for a little less, but still a big deal. I think it was 12 years, just over 300 million. That falls apart with the, the richest owner in baseball, Steve Cohen, who, who is not afraid to throw around money, 
that falls apart. And in the last 48 hours, we started hearing these reports again. And me being, I, I normally am not cynical, but I had grown very cynical over this situation because we kept hearing, well, the twins are back in it. The twins are back in it. And I was like, I'll believe it when I see it. Well, we saw it today, right before we started recording this show. I was about halfway through watching the Carlos Correa press conference from earlier today at uh, One Twins Way at Target Field. Remarkable turn of events. Um, I, I'll say this at two points. One, bottom line is he's here, and I'm ecstatic that he's here. And he's here for a, a you know, much fewer years than the Twins, I think, wanted to commit. Their offer had been 10 years, 285, but it really wasn't an offer because you knew, barring any physical things, he was going to get 300 million or more. So a lot of people thought that first offer was kind of a PR stunt uh, because they knew that wasn't going to be good enough. I don't know if I'd go that far. That's hard, It's hard to try to read people's minds, you know, but even assuming that was their initial offer, that was far less than the 350 over, over 13 years that more per year, but far less total value than the Giants and Correa agreed upon initially. But bottom line, I'm ecstatic he's here for so many reasons. And we can get into that more, you know, as we preview the twin season later in the coming months. But leader, stud defensively, clutch, winner. I mean, you, the, the superlatives go on. And he's just he's just a guy you want to build a franchise around. And he's in his prime. He's 28 years old. You know, he's not over the hill or anything like that. And, you know, if Buxton ever stays healthy, and that's another topic for another day, but you have a pretty good one-two punch there, um, certainly in the lineup. You know, they need more pitching, and we we know that. But uh, they have gone from what was going to be a very, very upset or even apathetic, dare I say, fan base heading into the season. to Now people are excited. Number two, we do have to acknowledge I don't think I've seen a team get luckier in back-to-back off-seasons with regard to a single player. And what do I mean by that? Well, last year, the lockout happens. Correa doesn't agree to a long-term deal. He couldn't find the long-term deal. He was negotiating. He, he was he was in searching. He turned down a couple long-term offers. And the Twins didn't think they were going to get him. I don't. From all reports, and Dan Hayes had the details in the Athletic at the time. The twins were approached by Scott Boris about Carlos Correa. And they said, well, yeah, sure. We're only committed for one year, you know, at, at, at most three years. But, you know, he's probably going to opt out. Everyone knew he was opting out to try to get the long-term deal. That happened because he had a good year and a great year. And so they got Carlos Correa. They couldn't cash it in, though, for many reasons, which is another episode as well. But they didn't cash it in. So. They got him, then it looked like he was going to leave for nothing, and it's like, ooh, this is rough. Then what I just described happened in the next offseason, which is even luckier as far as as far as far being able to land Correa. So give the Twins all the credit in the world for pulling the trigger, but you, the luck factor must be acknowledged as well. They don't, they don't just get full credit for sealing the deal. A lot of chips had to happen, and their commitment did have to happen to Correa, but Boy, back-to-back off-seasons, I guess this guy's just supposed to be here, man. Uh, he is. It's the old adage, to your point, it is better to be lucky than good. I'm not sure the Twins handled this very well, certainly on the front end. 
They didn't have a competitive offer uh, for Correa. They quickly found most of the free agents that they could have then backfilled uh, off of the market uh, and having to put their chips on reclamation projects, which is kind of the MO, you know, Joey Gallo, frankly, is kind of a recommend, you know, reclamation process, you know, project, another left-handed outfield bat. I mean, it's just like they were looking, floating trading major league players that are popular from their uh, roster just to try and do something to squeeze out more wins, like trading Louis Arias. Uh, it, it just, it really was kind of a disaster looking at like they weren't even going to get close to what the payroll was projected to be given sort of the revenue sharing and inflation. I, I thought the twins were reaching a crossroads where they were just going to have to start unloading major league players and rebuilt. Um, but it's amazing how, what a difference one player can make. Um, you know, they're so much more dangerous with Correa. Uh, you get, have so much more confidence in the future of this team with his leadership. He's got to stay healthy. Buxton obviously has to stay healthy, but if the two of them can stay healthy, and play at their best or close to their best when they're healthy, that's a great one-two punch. They have other young players that are growing. If they can stay healthy, you know, come back healthy, a Royce Lewis, a Jose Miranda, what are they doing with Louis Arias and, and Jorge Polanco, but they still offer a lot, you know, a, a Larnick. Uh, you know, they've got a lot of folks. They'll, they'll make some moves, you know, with Kepler, I think everyone's still waiting to be traded. And they still have some young arms that could come up, but they've got some, some assets they can now trade to to get the right uh, combination with along with the the role players they they've also acquired this offseason. So they went from being clear losers of the free agency period to being lucky, and now the direction of this team looks a lot brighter. And the options that are available to complete the offseason and put together a division competitive roster, which you still is going to require more, especially on the pitching front and people being healthy on my you know, for example, uh, you know, it looks a lot more like a realistic possibility where before it looks like you might as well just blow this thing up. Yeah. And you need to, I totally agree you and you need to Kirilov's another name. Uh, yes. that, that you didn't mention, but is in that is in that list of guys who a good group of young players who certainly Kirloff's wrist has been an issue. Uh, but Larnick, that was his first big injury in his professional career or college career, really. So you hope he comes back strong. Miranda had a phenomenal rookie year, phenomenal rookie year. If not for uh, Julio Rodriguez on the Seattle Mariners, Miranda's probably rookie of the year. Um, so he 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 was terrific. He's probably your opening day third baseman. Um, and I've always loved him at third base ever since I saw him for the first time there uh, in, in late 2018 in Fort Myers. And what a kid, what an awesome guy. And he and Correa are so close, which also makes it cool. It's cool how Correa, yeah, he wanted the, the most money he could get. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And you can't blame the man. You can't blame the man. Um, and and uh, certainly, you know, maybe he preferred a bigger market originally, but you know, his heart, I do believe some some of his heart was still here with the communication he was having with Buxton, the communication he was having with Miranda, you know, talking to keep staying in touch with a lot of the players. I think if all if he if he could if all the offers were equal, I think there was a chance he might have picked Minnesota because of the experience he had here last year. We'll never know that because they weren't and because of the physical stuff that turned out. But you're right. I mean, it it, it takes them from. From 
no shot at contention to certainly a shot at contending in a week AL Central. Um, now I do I do think Chicago has made some moves. Um, certainly Cleveland with Josh Bell, and I think Cleveland's such a well-run organization that Derek Falvey came from originally. They churn out pitchers like, uh, I mean, they churn out pitchers unbelievably. So they they are still the team to beat, and I don't think they've moved. I don't think the Twins have moved the needle enough to close a gap of double digits. People will say, well, look at all the Twins injuries, and they were in it until September. All that's true, but Cleveland still, at the end of the day, won the division by double-digit games. And they were clearly the best team in the division when all was said and done and almost beat the Yankees in the, in the division series in the postseason. So that is a very, very young. They were the youngest team in baseball Cleveland last year. Keep that in mind. So that is a young, improving team and the twins still need to do more to close that gap. But today was a very good day for this year's twins and the future of the Minnesota twins. When you have a surefire I mean, you have to think future Hall of Famer in in Carlos Correa. That is how good he is. And he's the perfect guy to lead this group going forward. Final I'll thought. just, I'll just, the, this front office went from being dead man walking where the highlight of their off season was the inexplicable decision to keep Emilio Pagan <laughs> to, and losing Carlos Correa because of not having a competitive offer to playing the long game, getting lucky, keeping Correa, and now having a lot of opportunities to wheel and deal, make other moves. They still have to fix the pitching, both starting and relievers. For all the people that said it was just a health issue, let's be honest. The pitching was very problematic, uh, especially after Wes Johnson left. The starters were not as good. Yes, there were still the, the ongoing health issues. They'll, getting guys back healthy will help there. But the relievers really also just the arms wore down last year and they didn't have enough depth there. But now at least they've got some ammo to work with to try and fix a situation where before it was just a disaster of an offseason. No question about it. So we will end it on that note. Some extreme optimism in Minnesota. So we, and one other thing deserves mention. The, the Wild are playing well and the Minnesota Timberwolves have not lost in 2023, and it's January 11th. So, congratulations. This is uh, there's some issues on the wolves save. maybe long term, but but yeah, we'll save the wolves talk for about those. It's... it's all it's all good right now. It's all good uh, after after this uh, remarkable last 48 hours for the Minnesota Twins and getting ready for a the second home playoff game in Minnesota in U.S. Bank Stadium history. The first one being the Minneapolis Miracle. What will this week provide with the New York Giants? Uh, with how this season has gone, you can't know. But I think the Vikings will win, and I can't tell you how. But I think they managed to win, as we both predicted earlier in the show. And hopefully next week, we're talking about another home playoff game, if my boy Pete Carroll can get it done in San Francisco. Uh, but if not, we'll be talking about Vikings and Niners in San Francisco for next week's show. Until then, for Matt Gallivan, I'm Marshall Kellner. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.